I'm Sid, and Princess, I wanted to ask you, if you had to name one, who's your favourite Beatle? Oh, Sid, what a question. Immediately comes to mind George, although I have a great big place in my heart for Ringo as well. Whilst tonight our focus will be on George, there may be a little bit of time for Ringo as well, but... This stems from probably something that we stumbled across, that we have a mutual appreciation of George Harrison, and that includes his time in the Beatles, some of his solo stuff, and, of course, he did that part with the Travelling Wilburys as well, that right towards the latter part of his career as well. So yes, what we're I... doing, dear listener, is we're focusing on George, apparently the quiet one. Welcome to the podcast with no name. Now, we're going to get on to George. You can do the bio because... I don't have enough of that. This morning I was on YouTube and I came across an interview with uh, Dick Cavett. I don't know if you're aware of his shows that he used to do in the 70s and 80s, uh, American interview-based type show. Yes, yes, I am. And Dick Cavett actually said that one of the more unusual interviews he had done, and this is from a more recent interview, because Dick Cavett's like in his 90s now, he said... One of the most interesting interviews he ever had was with George Harrison because the interview started off like this was going to fall flat very quickly, but then it really picked up some momentum. I think uh, partly because Cavett actually did not pick up on George's sense of humour to begin with, but when he really got into it, it this was like the George Harrison that I remembered. George started by saying hi and he was very kind of monosyllabic in his uh, responses but he was doing it with a look in his eye and a smile, like he was having a little bit of fun with it. And um, Cavett even said, said at one point, look, we have to talk about something. And he said, well, apparently I'm the most boring of the Beatles. And it's like, I might be the one who might be boring you the most. Can I talk about the movie that I saw last night? And it's something called Raga or something like that, which he did actually saw um, Lennon at. And he said, oh, you saw Lennon there. He said, so what did you say? Well, he goes, um, I walked up to John and said, hi. And what did John say back to you? He said, hi. And Cavett's look on his face describes like this is going to go up like a lead balloon, but he's still missing out the point. This is uh, George's just very quirky sense of humour because he said there's got to be some other things to talk about. Interesting, he talked about Monty Python. And at that point, the Americans hadn't really been exposed to Monty Python as they are now. Didn't George Harrison put up the money for Holy Grail? No, but he did put up the money for Life of Brian. Ah, there we go. There we go. Uh, So that was Handmade Films. And when you look at it closely, even George has actually a bit part in that movie. In Life of Brian? Yeah, yeah. You know the part of the movie where, uh, yes, we're all different, we're all individuals? Yeah. The big crowd? Yeah. Well, trust me, he's, he's there, it's a bit part, 
He's right at the front and you can see him there. Mr Safety and I had a laugh today. Wonderboy was watching one of the Jurassic Parks and mm. I looked up the cast as is my want when I'm watching a movie and um, one of the producers was credited as a cast member and his character's name was Unlucky Bastard. So... <laughs> He was one of the people that got eaten by a dinosaur. <laughs> so I'm wondering what um, the Pythons would have credited George Harrison as. You now got me. I really want to look at my <laughs> copy and have an, like another look. But even that, um, the thing that I find most fascinating about that interview is it tells you a lot about George. It also gives you some little bits into the future as we just touched about, like, George had his own filmmaking company mm. and most famously put up the money for Life of Brian. Yeah. But it also spoke about some of George's, like, general attitudes that he picked up to, uh, about life because we all know about uh, the Beatles, how they went up to, you know, the Maharishi, they went up to the top of the mountain, they were learning it different ways. Well, George actually embraced a lot of that. You could see that coming through and he's... Um, his view of the Beatles was uh, quite interesting because he said, uh, are you sad that the Beatles broke up? Do you think Yoko had anything to do with it? And he said, point blankly, he said, uh, you know, we've been breaking up for two or three years before we, you know, before we officially did. It had very little, if at all, to do with Yoko. And then he said, uh, the part that people don't understand is we've actually become free. Because uh, we were kind of stuck with something that we weren't enjoying and that was actually really locking us down. Yeah. So well, he just immediately accepted this as a positive and was looking at his next stage in life. Yeah. I was watching the, it was on Foxtel, it was Beatles documentary where mm-hmm. lots of people and pundits and Paul McCartney and Ringo were yep. talking about the Beatles and the lives and loves and what it was like to be in the Beatles and they both Paul and George, uh, Paul and Ringo both said that George was the first one who wanted to pull the pin on touring and playing live because he just hated the crowds he hated the travel he hated um everything to do with that um treadmill that they were on I think there's something even on the most basic level if you're a muso and his way of thinking of just trying to be in the moment and even sometimes being in the moment if you're a musician watching someone enjoy it but you can't even hear your own feedback. Yeah. (laughs) And then all you can hear is screaming and I thought, hang on, how do I break off this cycle? They're only seeing, they're seeing the Beatles. They're no longer really hearing the Beatles. Yeah. And I like that way how he's been able to articulate those things to such a level too. Yeah. I've always yeah. found that quite fascinating. And as you said, as you mentioned a few moments ago, um, I think it was George, you, they'd been growing apart for a while and Yoko had nothing to do with the breakup. You've got to think they were they were in that band from when they were, what, 16, 17? Well, and particularly it, George was the youngest one of the band. So George you've got to was put that into perspective. That as well. George was the youngest, and they're still only getting out of the band when they're 28, 29, 30. Mm. Um, 
So they're still young men when they're getting out. And you know yourself, during your 20s, you do an awful lot of growing up. And by the time you reach 30, you're a very different person to who you were at 20. So, of course, they wanted to go and do their own stuff. The Beatles lived a life. The Beatles, the band, had come to its natural end, I think. When you look back at it, it's come to its natural end. I think during the Hamburg days, which is before they were famous, I think a lot of us overlook just how young Harrison was back in Hamburg. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways he was playing in places he wasn't allowed to play in age-wise. Yes, yes. They Mm. had to sneak him into some venues, didn't they? Um, You know, and they just, oh, they just looked so young. And the idea, I mean, would you let your 17, 18-year-old son go across the ocean and go and play in dives night after night after night for months on end? And you don't know. I mean, it's not like you can ring them on the phone or um, have a quick video chat with them like we can today. Um, It was letters sent by surface mail back to their mums and parents and things to let them know that they're all right, that they're alive. I mean, it was a big thing. I think it was just totally a different mindset. I think touring Hamburg around 1960 we're, uh, what, we're talking 15 years or so since World War II finished? That's right. It's not that long. And and I think the mindset was just completely different. I think people were just saying, look, we're alive. Let's just enjoy it. Let's not be hamstrung by some of the things that we used to think as a society beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, it is still weird for like a 17-year-old to be going to Hamburg or 16. I would need to double-check that. But... Uh, I think that must have opened up his eyes and I'm very, very sure all of them as teenagers did what teenagers did. (laughs) Mm. Too much oozing for starters. Well, that's right. Uh, A lot of hijinks, I'm sure. And stuff that I think has been 100% filtered out that only Paul McCartney's indicated. Uh, This smile on his face, reliving it, he's still enjoying it, but... Hey, it belongs back in that era, and I think we all appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, George Harrison, I'm just looking up Wikipedia just so we can get an idea of his age and everything. He was born on the 25th of February 1943, and he died on the 29th of November 2001. My goodness. Mm -hmm. He's been gone for 21 years. Wow. That's just... That's a lifetime. Yeah, I know, and I can still remember uh, the day he died and because this is an oral medium, I actually kept the newspaper. Really? Such was, yeah, and that's when newspapers actually made sense and you get them in hard copy and things like that. Because, <laughs> and they weren't, they weren't all advertisements. <laughs> well, exactly right. They actually meant something and you'd be able to read, I mean... Sponsored like four pieces. or five pages of of this because at least had in a weird way a chance to prepare. Yeah. Because everyone had known that he was quite ill at the time. Yeah. And, yeah. and I can remember like in the lead up to it, they were talking about other members paying their last visit to him. Like they knew it was soon. Yeah. It was just a question of like which day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was the same um, just incidentally with um, the Rolling Stones and Charlie going. They knew Charlie hadn't been well for a while. Um, 
I'm just looking up. I'm, again, I'm referring to Wikipedia because, you know, everything on that is true. Um, well, absolutely. It's actually a lot <laughs> truer than what people give it credit for, I think. Um, yeah, at times. If you fact, if you cross-check your facts, you're okay, but this stuff's mm. pretty standard. Um, George Harrison's songs for uh, the Beatles include The Taxman, yep. with, Within You and Without You. That's a bit trippy, that song. While yep. My Guitar Gently Weeps, I think that's his... One of the classics. One of the classics and one of the well more better-known ones. The same with Here Comes the Sun. And something. Mm. And I I must say I do not like something. It just bugs me. Um, he played sitar when he discovered Eastern music and Eastern thought and religion and mysticism and all that stuff. Um, he s- introduced the sitar, sitar and played on Norwegian wood. Um and that was on Revolver, wasn't it? Norwegian Wood. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah because right. The, the Beach Boys heard Revolver. The story goes that the Beach Boys heard Revolver and went, wow, that's fantastic. Next thing you know, they come out with pet sounds. Um, the Beatles listened to pet sounds and went, oh my goodness, that's fantastic. Go back into the studio and come out with Sgt. Pepper's. It was like this mutual appreciation society happening, and I, I do like that story. My, I like the fact that they were feeding off each other and just thinking, how far can they raise the bar? Yes, yes, absolutely. Hey, what's your yes. favourite George Harrison song? Not just the Beatles. It's really hard to tell because I like a lot of things off the uh, All Things Must Pass album. I really do. Um, what I was preparing there, because you're talking about George and some of his songs that he was writing. Look, I put this one in my top three of George Harrison's songs because of what it's referring to at the at the time. And I'm referring to his song, which was on their very last Beatles album called I Need Mine. Are you familiar with it? No, I don't know that one. So uh, when you look at their very, very last album, I Me Mine, is a very short George Harrison song with a more waltzy type of tune to it before you actually get to the chorus where they really let rip. A little bit of trivia, as a unit, this was the last song that they ever recorded. Right. Yes, when the Beatles split up later, um, sorry, pardon me, uh, April, May, 2000, sorry, 1970, they were in the studio for three days in the January uh, fixing up this song, getting it to a way that they like. But what I'm impressed by is this song is very Harrison in so many ways. He's identified what's wrong with the band and he's talking about the weaknesses of the band and what's helped them to get to this point. And I think it's actually very directed. And if you indulge me, let me just read, uh, like, say, the first seven lines. Please do. Because this is, I believe, directed at Paul and John. Right. And I'll try to do it without actually humming the tune because it's very waltzy. Oh, please hum the the tune. All through the day, I mean mine, I mean mine, I mean mine. All through the night, 
I me mine, I me mine, I me mine. Now they're frightened of leaving it. Everyone's reading it, coming on strong all the time. All through the day, I me mine, I me mine, I me mine. And I think if that's not a go at the bandmates' egos, I'm not too sure what is. It could also mean um, that the Beatles, all four of them, were looking at at their own interests, looking at what they wanted themselves individually rather than as a group, not so much just Paul and George. But, yeah, it's definitely about the Beatles. Yeah, but the thing is why I think it's very pointed. Look, it could have, uh, with you, it could have a more bigger point of view, like how some people get very much carried away with how they present themselves and their own personality. But I think this is more of a dig because he's saying it's all through the day and it's all through the night. And mm. it's like me, 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 yeah. me, 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 me. And the reason why it's I, me, mine, it just helps to make it work with the song. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that's a very pointed dig at the band at the time. And in some ways, it's a very strong song on the last album because some of the songs didn't quite have the kind of depth or interest as what you've probably heard in some other albums. Um, that song they tried to intersperse with a bit of like, you know, hijinks the band was uh, having as well, I think, to try to prop it up. Uh, mm. That said, um, Two of Us, I think, is an excellent track on that album. That actually starts it. And, you know, Dig a Pony, I'll probably write up there as well. But for me, I like this track and people probably going to say, oh, look, Sid, you're forgetting things like Long and Winding Road, which I think is an absolutely brilliant song. But I find it almost too sad to listen to. Um, and long- this one just hits the, hits the nail on the head perfectly, I think in the album it's the strongest track i'll have to have another listen i asked you what your favorite george song was mine is my sweet lord oh yeah and i'm just looking at again the font of all information wikipedia Mm -hmm. and uh george harrison was sued by bright tunes for copyright infringement over my sweet lord because it was so similar to the 1963 Chiffon's hit, He's So Fine, and he went down on that. And it's like, ooh. But um, the judge also ruled that he had done it subconsciously. He also had a little bit of fun at this, uh, the whole court hearing. Did he now? Yes, um, and the film clip is really, really funny about it. I can't remember if it's called this song or this tune, but it's all right. the film clip is in a chord, and he was just trying to have a dig, saying, "Look, you know what's happened is all pretty innocent." And he said, "Look, you know this song ends in E, kind of thing." And you know, for him, it was just like I can't believe it's got to this stage because there was no way I have intentionally tried to plagiarize this one. I think he called it like subconscious or incidental plagiarism because he did not do it knowingly. He put up his hand that. When you listen to the two songs, there um, melody-wise, there is some similarity. You can't escape that. You know it's, that does happen. How many chords are there? You're going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And also, I mean, you. I mean, this. 
He's So Fine came out eight years before My Sweet Lord did. Mm. George, no doubt heard it. Everybody did. You and I both know how He's So Fine goes. Um, So, of course, it's in there. It's in your subconscious. You don't intend to do stuff like that. Um, But, you know, that's all right. You live and you learn. You move on. But My Sweet Lord is my favourite George song and... Personally, I think George never looked better than what he did around um, from 69 to 72. I think that was peak George. I think that was peak George because when you're starting to talk about 73, 74, uh, there's a few other things going on. He had that 18-month worth worth of laryngitis. Mm. And you actually hear that in uh, some of the songs that he puts out, like he could not shake it. You can actually listen to some of the tools there and it's just, it's him, but something's gone on with his voice. It took an incredibly long time to shake. Um, Was it just laryngitis or did he have nodules or something? Well, I've read it. There was laryngitis, but obviously in extreme part, it could have been nodules as well, but it's like an 18-month period. So he toured during this time and you can actually hear that he can't produce his voice. It's got this raspiness that is... uh, um, just not him. Probably the song that one of the more famous songs of that era that really pointed out is uh, one of the more weirder type uh, names of songs that he got is simply, I think it's called uh, Ding Dong Ding Dong, where the chorus is known as Bring Out the Old, Bring In the New. No, I don't know that one. So when you, it's got a curious little uh, film clip to it. Yeah. But at various points during the verse... I think it's there's a bit of even like uh, electronics there, this hiding just how we cannot sing the way that he was used to. It's yeah. about that kind of era. Um, also around that time, he's, uh, their marriage with Patty Boyd was well and truly on the skids, I think. Mm. You could say that safely that his mate <laughs> uh, Clapton had, uh, well, they, they'd already hitched up, he and his, uh, well, then wife, and mm. his attitude towards that, if you ever watched the 1991 interview, because uh, the two of them did a tour of Japan, and they brought up this issue, and he actually said, look, if anyone was going to have an affair with my wife or take her away, I'm glad it was Eric because Eric's a good man. See, that just shows. It's an attitude that is just hard to wrap your head around. But it's so... It shows it he was like a grown-up. Yeah, but he's 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 come to the point where he's let go of it. Yeah, he's forgiven. Yeah. He's moved on. He's in a good mm. place. He knows Clapton's in a good place. And if you mm. love someone, don't you want them to be happy? So if he loved Patty Boyd, he would be happy that she's yeah. happy. But you also sense that if any type of thing like that, for um, Patty to go over to Eric at that time, was their relationship pretty much effectively on the skids anyway because I think it got beyond the usual type of, like, trust has been destroyed. I mean, had they already been gravitating their own separate ways anyway, I think it's there's a strong argument for that. Yeah. The fact that George married Olivia and they had Danji, I think that's Danny, Dani, Dani, Dani. Um, not too much longer after that, maybe George wanted to have children. Who knows? Maybe they couldn't have children together. I mean, who knows? It's that's all speculation. 
wild speculation um, based on no information at all, people. Dear listener, just I am talking completely out of my hat today. George and Patty went by by the by and good luck. Is is Clapton still with Patty or did he move on? No, no. No, he that, moved on, did um, he? That moved, that uh, they will and truly moved on by about the mid 80s. Oh, geez. So uh, that was, I don't know the exact timeline, but you know, by mid 80s, sometimes Clapton kind of documents what's happening in his life and his music. He had a song that wasn't that well known, that hasn't really carried on today, but it's simply called Our Friends Are Tearing Us Apart. And uh, it's, to me, it's got some strong references to what's happening in their relationship at that time. Right. Whereas, like, you know, people are going in opposite directions already. This concludes part one of our My Sweet George episode. Now, just for your information, we received a few complaints about Sid and the Princess's first episode together. The complaints revolved around the fact that it sounded just too damn sexy. But we believe you shouldn't be punished for your sexiness and we're going to push on regardless if you'd like to contact the members of the podcast with no name you can drop us an email at podnoname at gmail.com or you can drop us a message at facebook at 